0: Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon and be blessed.
1: So if you have a Bible and if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to get there in a few moments. But you remember last week, uh, or I guess a couple of weeks ago, we actually started on Easter Sunday taking a look at our living hope. And so I had planned a sermon series for the next several weeks about our living hope and about the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and Jesus' ascension and how we discover our living hope. God has got some other plans, but really as I have dove into what we began last week, uh, there alone do we find our hope. And so it's just been interesting how the Lord has linked these things together. Where we focused last week was on this question, what God dreams are unfulfilled for White Chapel? It's a great question, and I'll be honest with you, it's a question that I had not considered until a few weeks ago, I think three weeks ago, and then I began to set with the Lord and ask God this specific question time and time again. God, what unfulfilled dreams do you have for White Chapel Church? That's a question that we have to know the answer to. And I would not thought of this question before. But we've gotta know the direction that God is leading us in his unfulfilled God dreams. And so as I began to listen to what the Lord was saying in response to this question, I shared with you last week that there are six dreams that God has for us as Whitechapel Church. We're gonna talk about these dreams a lot. We're gonna focus on these dreams a lot. You're going to see these dreams in our printed material. You're going to see these dreams on our walls. You're going to hear these dreams talked about on this platform. We're going to talk about them in our groups. We're going to talk about these dreams everywhere. Because if these are God's dreams for us, and I wholeheartedly believe they are, then we have to be about our Father's business, right? That's what Jesus said. And so these six dreams over the next six weeks... We're going to focus on each one of these dreams and what God might be dreaming for us as Whitechapel Church. So the six dreams, six unfulfilled God dreams that he has for us. The first is unity, modeled here first, and then it's modeled in our community. The second is for Warner Christian Academy. God gave that dream to us as a church. We have to possess this dream. We have to own this dream. It's of sending out 1,000 leaders, and we know that if we were to take a look at the number 1,000, as we said last week, the number 1,000 is, is really symbolic for a number that is so large that it can't be counted. And I would say that this dream is not only for White Chap- or not only for Warner Christian Academy, but it is a dream also for this place, what happens inside these walls of Whitechapel Church. God desires for us to send out disciples into the world to radically change the world for Christ. The third is breaking the chains of bondage and deliverance. If you drive anywhere in Volusia County, you don't have to go too far from where you might be at, and you will discover people in bondage that need the deliverance that can only be found in Jesus Christ. This is our mission In sharing his love. We're not sharing his love just for the sake of sharing his love. We are sharing his love so that people are released from the chains of sin to enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. And in order to see that happen, we have to send out people into the community for that to happen. The fourth God dream is a center for meeting the community's needs. We do this, and and we do a a variety of all of these things here. We do this on a little bit, in in a little small scale through our thrift store and our outreach and our resource center. But I really believe that an unfulfilled God dream for us is to do this in a much bigger way. And what I have envisioned as I have wrestled with these unfulfilled God dreams is very similar to what Jesus did when he fed the 5,000. And so what Jesus did in this is he took the little that had been given to him and he turned it into so much that it fed thousands upon thousands of people. And then after that, he was able to share the gospel, to share his mission. The fifth is a powerhouse of worship and the sixth is a powerhouse of prayer. I think there might be another one in this, which is a powerhouse of truth. And I think that these three are unified together in worship, prayer, and truth to empower us going forth in what God has called us to do. And so, what I want to focus on today is unity. Throughout the Scripture, we see unity modeled if we were to take a look at what happened in Genesis chapter 1 and specifically in Genesis chapter 2, there we see a perfect image of unity. God created Adam. And then when he created Adam, Adam needed to come to life. And at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, what we see is God breathed in Adam breath to bring the flesh and bone to life so that Adam could live together in unity with God. But then God knew that Adam was not enough. That Adam needed somebody else to be with him to model perfect unity. And listen to me. If we want to talk about unity in the church... It cannot be absent the unity that mankind had with God in Genesis chapter 2. Because the scripture is clear to us that the work that the enemy does is he steals, he kills, and destroys in John chapter 10. And if we want to find unity, we have to go to where we first discover unity. And that's Genesis chapter 2. God is, has created mankind, man and woman. And there they live in perfect unity with him. It's perfect. The enemy has no hold. And God's, hear me when I say this, God's desire for us is is to model the unity that is found in Genesis chapter 2. I'm not just talking about in a man and wife, a husband and wife relationship. That is a part of it. And it is interesting to me that when we first see unity, it's in a husband and wife relationship and Adam and Eve. And then what God refers to the church is as his bride. That's interesting. And I think that there's a lot for us to discover in that. Because before God made the church, he made the family. He made Adam and Eve. And there they lived in perfect unity with him. And so the way that we discover the enemy attacking is to divide, to steal, to steal, to kill and destroy. And then what happens in Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, sin enters, man and woman become disobedient, and they then allow the unity or the harmony that they had with God to be completely broken and destroyed. And from Genesis chapter 3, all the way up to the arrival of Jesus Christ, God is putting a plan in motion to restore unity with every single one of us. What was it that they called Jesus? They called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, that's significant for our unity. Because if God is not with us, we will never have unity. In Genesis chapter 2, God and Adam and Eve were together. There was unity. There was harmony. That was broken and then God was no longer able to be with the two of them. And so he wanted to be with us so then we could have true unity. This is what God has told me specifically for us as a congregation that unity looks like. Unity for us is modeled first here at Whitechapel and then we model it in the community we can't just leave here on Sunday mornings or whenever we gather here and think, okay, I'm going to go have some unity in the community. Instead, we model it here and then take that unity with us so that as we are living out of the centeredness of God being with us, then the community becomes hungry for the unity that can only be found in Jesus Christ. This is what that looks like. This is, this. I I wholeheartedly believe that this is the word from the Lord, that we become a team that then eventually becomes an army to take back the things that hell has stolen from our community. And hear me when I say this, we've got a good team, we've got a good team, but we don't have an army just yet. And God is molding us and crafting us from a team into becoming an army. And I'm not just talking about staff. I'm talking about every single one of us that are a part of a team. And so what I believe God is doing in in crafting us into becoming an army of unity that is able to go into the community to take back the things that hell has stolen. Remember, it's breaking the chains of bondage and leading people into deliverance. What I believe God is doing is he wants to send us together on, if you will, a little bit of a spiritual boot camp. What happens when we want to train up our troops? We don't give them guns and we don't give them their weapons and send them out and say, here, go do your best to fight the enemy. That's not how that happens. What we always do is we send our troops into an intense time of training So that when they are properly trained, then and only then, do we send them out to fight the battle against the enemy. Because we know, our our country is smart, and we know if we're not properly training our troops against the uh, attack of the enemy, they might not be able to withstand the attack of the enemy. When our troops go into boot camp or, or whatever the, the various forms of, uh, of the service call their specific things, I think each one maybe call, might call it something different. It might be boot camp for everyone. But when they go into boot camp, what they discover is that each one of them kind of have their own little silos, if you will, of life. They want them to become a great team while they're in boot camp, so that they get to the place to where they are a great army. And if we want to see this unfulfilled God dream of unity for us come to fruition, then we've got to move from being a pretty good team to an unbelievable army for Jesus Christ. And so I believe this is what God is doing with us at Whitechapel Church. And I think that we've got to wrestle with this. And I think that we have to figure out what it together... He's placed us all here together. We have to figure out what it looks like for us to move from the team mentality to the army mentality in what God is doing in the lives of every single one of us. But here's something else that I've discovered about unity as I have sat with the Lord and thought about unity. Did you know that unity can also be a bad thing? There are times that unity is a bad, bad thing. So, for example, a gang of murderers are unified they're unified but that is bad unity that's not good unity and what the enemy has done sometimes is he's deceived us in bringing in unity for the sake of bad i have to tell you i grew up in a church that was not unified for the right reasons oh they were unified but it wasn't for the right reasons Now, every one of the ladies that I'm going to talk about have gone on and moved into eternity, so I can tell you this story. Um, I told it before they died, too. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) I grew up in a little church in southeast Missouri. Little little church in Lower Missouri. And there I learned about church. But I learned about a non-unified, for the right reasons, church. One example, it's a humorous example But I hope that you can catch the spirit of unity that is working against the unity from God that he desires for us in this story. So there was a girl that was a little bit older than myself who was going to Mid-America Bible College. And so some of the ladies in the church decided that they wanted to have a fellowship dinner to recognize one of our own going off to one of the Church of God colleges. And so they wanted to celebrate this some of the other ladies in the church decided that it was wrong to throw a dinner for one person when we didn't throw a dinner for all of the people who were going off to college and so they got together and they battled back and forth and so some of the ladies in the church wanted to celebrate this one girl going off and going into ministry and they felt that it was a special moment that needed to be honored and recognized by the church the other ladies decided it was wrong and it wasn't gonna happen and so what they did the night before the dinner, they went down to church and they took all of the silverware and they locked it in the janitor closet. So then the next day, whenever the ladies showed up to throw the, throw the dinner and throw the party for uh, the one that was going off to college and going into ministry, when they got there, there was no silverware. They looked throughout the church. They couldn't find the silverware. There was one closet that was locked. Yep, none of them had a key and that's where the silverware was. You see, this is how I grew up in church. This is what we made church, a lot of our churches look like. Where if I don't get my way, I'm going to take the silverware and I'm going to lock it up and I'm going to make you be submissive to the things that I want or the things that I like. You see, unity can sometimes be a bad thing if it is not for which the purpose that God intended unity in Genesis chapter 2. We have to make sure that we are taking the God-given unity that he designed us for and living that unity out and not letting the enemy's false imitation unity come in and seep in to who we are as children of the Most High God. We have to know what unity is. And so it would be interesting to me, and and I, I would... I think it would be interesting if we went around the room this morning and we asked you, what does Christian unity look like? What does unity look like in relationship to Jesus Christ? We don't hear that taught about a lot in the church. We think that unity means that we all look and act uh, the, the exact same way and do the exact same things. That's not unity. The women who were taking the silverware looked, act, and did the exact very same things. But it was wrong. And that was not Christian unity. We need to know a proper definition of unity so that we know what it looks like when the team moves into an army. And so I've asked the Lord. I googled it. Because I've never heard a definition of unity given in in any sermon. I've never heard what does it look like. If this is how we're going to define unity, this is unity. I, I googled it. You can't find it. You can't, so I sat with the Lord. There, there's all kinds of different theological answers and, and, and people that are much, much smarter than I give, give all of these answers of what Christian unity is. But no, I wanted to know, what is it, God, that you have specifically designed the local church for and what that unity looks like in the local church? So as I began to process this with the Lord, I asked the Lord, okay, so now what does unity look like for Whitechapel Church? If we're moving into the community and we're moving from a team and we're moving to an army, what does unity look like at Whitechapel Church? And this is what the Lord said to me, and I share it with you. Unity for us means this we are a saved, spirit filled group of believers at Whitechapel Church. Focused exclusively on God-given mission that glorifies Jesus by being bound first to Him and then we're bound to each other. There's a lot in that, but I believe that this is where God is leading us in, uh, uh, this is where God is leading us deeper to explore His unity and the definition of what unity means for us at Whitechapel Church. We have to be saved, and we have to be spirit-filled. You can't separate those two things. And if you are saved and entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you have not received His Spirit, then I encourage you in this service here today, surrender wholeheartedly to the Spirit of God and say, Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you to take complete control of my life. It's a two-step process that you've got to totally surrender to the Lord. I lived some years of my life in relationship with Jesus Christ that were not spirit filled lives, spirit filled years. And so I had to then say to God, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm in relationship with you, but now I need your spirit to control. And so there's two steps here saved and spirit filled. All of us united together. And here's the next part focused exclusively, and the word exclusively is one I really press the Lord on. And this is a word that evolved as I had some conversations with the Lord, and we finally got to this word exclusively. This is what, this is what I believe God means for us. We're not going to focus on anything else other than his God-given mission for us. Because if some want to focus on this, and some want to focus on this, and some want to have a party, and some don't want to have a party, and we're focusing on all of this other stuff, there's no way that we can be unified. There's no way that we can experience the unity that God designed mankind for in Genesis chapter 2 that they are actually living out. So here's what I say. We are going to be a church focused exclusively on our God-given mission. Nothing else. Because everything else is a distraction. And we've got to be on mission from God. So what does that mission do? It's the last part. It glorifies Jesus by being bound to God first, and then we're bound to each other. And I think it's interesting how God has led this last part here to where we're focused on Him. We're bound to Him first, and then we're bound to each other. Here's another two-step part of what unity means for us as a church. If we're bound to God first, then we can be bound to each other. But if we were to flip those two things and we think that we're bound to each other first and then we're bound to God, what happens is we will never truly discover unity in being bound to each other first. Because unity is a gift from God. Hear me when I say that. Unity is a gift from God. So take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. The sermon isn't as long as the introduction, I promise you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. These are Paul's words writing about unity in the body of Christ. And if we were to take Paul's words, not only here, if we were to look in Corinthians, I think 11, 12, 13, 14, if we were to look in the middle of the book of Romans, we find lots of, lots of places that Paul is talking about unity. But here is where I want us to focus this morning. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort... To keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here's what's so amazing to me in this passage that Paul has written to us. Paul did not say, I want you to find unity. Paul did not say to the church in Ephesus, I want you to create unity. Paul did not say you need to manufacture unity together. Here's what Paul said. You need to keep the unity. And what I believe is not, and I'm not going to just isolate this verse, but we could take a look at a lot of other verses. And so I'm not just taking this verse out of context by saying this, but I believe that community is a gift from God. Unity is not something that we can manufacture together. Unity is nothing that we could ever find or discover on our own. Unity is not a destination for us to get here, get to, and then say, Woohoo, we finally got to the place of unity. That's not what Paul is writing to us about, not only in Ephesians, but also in Corinthians, Colossians, and the book of Romans. Paul would say to us that unity is a gift from God himself. Genesis chapter 2. Unity was a gift from God because God was with man. Jesus is our gift of unity so that Jesus is with us. Emmanuel, he is with us. There we only find unity. Absent Jesus, there is no unity. So if Jesus Isn't in our midst. If Jesus is not with us, then we will never be able to find, manufacture, or conjure up a bunch of unity. We only find unity whenever we find all of Jesus. We only find unity when we are a saved and spirit-filled group of believers focused exclusively on a God-given mission that glorifies Jesus by being bound first to God and then to each and every one of us. We can't manufacture this. We can't create this. We don't have enough money, we don't have enough smarts, we don't have enough time to do this. Because with the flesh, it is not possible. Unity only comes from the presence of Jesus. So hear me when I say this. We are not going to pursue unity. So when one of God's unfulfilled dreams for us is unity... We don't start out by saying, hey, we've got to find unity. We're going to pursue unity. No, you'll never get there. The church pursuing unity will always be a divided church because unity is only in the presence of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do as a church. We're not going to pursue unity. We're just going to pursue more of Jesus because that's where you find unity. When you find the presence of Jesus, there you'll find unity. If we start trying to find unity, we'll never find it. So the way to unity is through the heart of Jesus. So I want to ask you to begin praying for more of Jesus. More and more and more and more and more of Jesus in the life of Whitechapel Church. More and more and more and more of Jesus in the saved, Spirit-filled believers that are a part of Whitechapel Church. So that as we chase more and more of Jesus, then our team moves to become a great army that then is able to go into the community in our God-given mission to make sure that our community discovers what we have in Jesus Christ. Hear me when I say this. The community around us is not hungry for unity. They are hungry for Jesus. And when we take our unity, they're repulsed by that. But when we take Jesus to them, then the chains of sin are broken. And then lives are changed. And then we see Jesus lifted up and glorified. So here's what I want to say about unity, too. Notice this. If we were—let me keep reading— Um, So let's go back to the scripture here, and then then we'll get to that. So in Ephesians chapter 4, I stopped at verse 3. Let's go to verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Do you catch the hope there? Where is the hope here? It's in us being unified. Our living hope is Jesus Christ, and if we're going to be unified, we can only come back and find it in Jesus Christ. So, so we'll keep going. Verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 11. This was he who gave some, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach, listen, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you see all of Christ in that unity there? Paul said, I want you to get the fullness of unity. And then he says, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ. You see, Paul is saying to us, we can never get to the place of unity. It's elusive. You can't find it. But we can find Jesus Christ. Because the promise that we have is if you seek him, you will find him. If we seek unity, we will never find unity. And that's why Paul is saying to us, we have to press in to discover more and more of Christ. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ there's our unity it's in Jesus Christ alone so in the church I don't want to build a friendly church I think if we were to go into the community and we were to ask people what do you want in a church one of the top things one of the top things I think that people would say is that they want a church that is friendly and who wouldn't want that right you want to go to a friendly church where you like the people that you're sitting around, where you're able to have a little bit of camaraderie in, 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 within, the, within the group of... You want to be able to do some things with the people that you go to church with. And those are all not bad things. But we can't set out to build a friendly church. We have to set out to build a unified church. And then the friendliness and the camaraderie are byproducts of unity. And when friendliness and camaraderie are absent, then unity is also absent. But we can't build friendly, we can't build camaraderie, but we can build unity if we are pursuing more and more of Jesus. Paul does not write about a friendly church. Paul does not write about a welcoming church. He writes about a unified church. Because it is the unified church that is on mission for God, that always brings glory to God, that is united first to God, and then secondly, we're united together in friendliness and camaraderie. But we can't chase the byproduct. We can only chase the giver. And the giver is Jesus Christ. Paul said, it's about Jesus Christ. How did he end this section? He said, by attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. You know why you're here this morning? It's all about Christ. You may have thought that you were here this morning because you wanted to gather together with some of your friends. You may have thought that you wanted to gather together here to fellowship and have some some time visiting with one another. Maybe see people that you hadn't seen in a long time. But no, if that's why we're here, we're here for the wrong thing and we'll always be a team instead of an army. God's wanting to build an army at Whitechapel Church that is unified and exclusively focused on our God mission for the sake of seeing this community radically changed it's time for us to stop to stop focusing on the wrong things and to start focusing on the God things that he has for us the interesting part here if you take a look back at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 there are some things that Paul lays out just in this first two verses here that are significant and will always be present in unity Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Again, he didn't say manufacture it. He didn't say chase it. He said it's all about Jesus, and so we have to keep focusing on Jesus. And that's where we find the unity of the Spirit. Paul said to keep that through the bond of peace. Peace. Peace is a significant word when it comes to unity. Because what the enemy will always do is he will always disrupt our peace. And if he can disrupt our peace, then he can steal our unity. He doesn't start with a unity. He starts where there is no peace. And so be aware. Keep your spiritual antennas up. Because when there is no peace, that's a sign from God that the enemy is at work. And when we discover a lack of peace, there we will always find the enemy. So a couple of nights ago, I've, I've been eating a lot of fresh fruits and fresh vegetables, and so a couple of nights ago, I went to our refrigerator and I opened up. Um, I opened up one of the drawers at the bottom. They have a name. I don't know what they are. The, the drawers at the bottom, uh, crisper. Is that what they are? I don't know. But anyway, I opened up the drawer, and I had put a uh, an orange in there that I'd gotten just a few days before that, and I wanted to eat the orange that night. But what had happened? is there were some strawberries and don't look at me funny because every one of you've done this too so don't just think it's me and I'm gross there were some strawberries that had been in our refrigerator just a little bit too long and they were yucky I won't describe what they looked like but they were yucky they were down in the bottom of the drawer and my orange that was perfectly good that I was ready to eat in that moment had touched these these gross strawberries and there was nothing wrong with my orange But because my orange was associated with these bad strawberries, my orange that I was ready to eat in that moment and saved it for that night had a little bit of mold on it. And I had to take that orange and throw it in the trash. And I had to get the strawberries out of there because there was some other fruit that was in there, and I had to throw them in the trash. Because here's what I know. If you've got bad fruit and it touches good fruit... The bad fruit never comes good. The good fruit always goes bad. You know that's true in the church? That's true in the church. And this verse in in Philippians 4.3, Paul's given us the clue. And he says, when there is no peace, you've got bad fruit. And we're not going to put good fruit with bad fruit. We're going to take the bad fruit and we're going to put the bad fruit in the trash because bad fruit always wants to destroy the good fruit and if we are pursuing more and more of Jesus then what we have to know is that we're not going to be around bad fruit we're not going to let our good fruit rub up against bad fruit because good fruit always destroys or bad fruit always destroys good fruit paul says this must be where you are at as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to look at verse 2 here. Because Paul gives us some other words that are significant in our pursuit of unity, which is truly a pursuit of more of Jesus Christ. Paul says, be completely humble. That's a key word. He talks about unity in verse 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love is the translation, the NIV translation that I always use. But I like another translation because this is what another translation says about uh, um, um, Ephesians 4 verse 2. It says, Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? When Paul's talking about unity, He says you need to make allowances for each other's faults. Well, praise the Lord, because that's a church that I can be a part of. Because I'm not a perfect leader. None of us are perfect either. And Paul says, if you want to truly be unified in a team that becomes an army, then what we have to do is make allowances for each other's faults. He says, bear with one another... In love. So you know what? We are going to recognize in our pursuit for more of Jesus, which then gives us unity, that none of us are perfect. And at some point, some of us may mess up. And you know what? That's okay. That doesn't mean that we say, oh, you messed up. We're out of here. We're gone because there's never going to be any unity there. No, that's not what Paul said. Paul said, you're going to mess up. Paul said, some of you are going to make some bad decisions, but make room for each other's faults, for your mistakes, for the things that go wrong. Because there's never been a man or woman that's walked the face of the earth other than Jesus that's been perfect. And so those of us that are imperfect are pursuing the only one that is perfect so that then we have unity in the body of Christ. So... Let me share this with you, and, and, then, we're, and then we'll wrap up. You know, you know where these are, Melissa? I love these shoes. Man, these are my shoes. I just bought them a week and a half ago. Uh, there was an article on the front page of the newspaper. It was a Friday or Saturday newspaper. I forget which one it was. About this shoe store up by the Speedway that's been there for like 40 years. You guys would know the name of it. Dan's, Don's, I, Donald, I forget. I um, forget. So I saw this, and I love a good shoe store. I don't like going, like, you go into pennies, and I don't like to buy shoes in pennies. I don't think you can, is pennies even open. I don't know. But anyway, I just love a good shoe store that only sells shoes. I don't want a place that sells shoes and clothes and perfume, and I, I don't want to go. I just like to go to a shoe store where there are shoes out front, and they still go in the very, very back of the room where all the, like, the multitude of shoes are kept, And then they bring them out one by one and let you try them on. And they've got the little metal things that you put your feet in and you measure your feet. I love shoe stores like that. So I I went to this shoe store a couple of weeks ago because I had a pair of shoes that I wanted to get shined. You can't find anywhere. Unless you're going in an airport, you can't find anywhere to, to shine a good pair of shoes. So I took my shoes down there. And while I was there, they had a sign that caught my eye. Clearance. I was in. And so I went to their little clearance room, and there I found these shoes. These, I tried them on, they don't look the best, but I tried them on, and they are the most comfortable shoes that I've ever worn in my life. I almost wore them this morning, but I knew that there was a chance that my wife would remind me that she does not like these shoes. (laughs) So I brought these shoes home, and I was so excited. Because I found a shoe that was just a little bit dressy. It was a little bit tennis shoe. But it was the best of both worlds. But it was so comfortable. And I set the box on the edge of the bed. And Melissa Melissa was gone. And I waited for her to come home. Because I wanted her to see my shoes. And I wanted her to tell me what a great job that I did picking out these shoes. And when she got home... I waited. She went about and did a few things. And so I was expecting her to come out and with the box and say, "Did you buy these? You did such a fabulous job in buying these shoes." I waited. And I finally had to ask, "Well, did you see my shoes that are on the edge of the bed?" And she said, "Yeah, I saw your shoes." I wanted her to champion, "You did an amazing job buying the shoes." She doesn't like the shoes. And we could probably take votes and some of you would side with me and the majority of you would probably side with her. That's okay. But you know what? When Melissa didn't champion what I did, I did not say to her, I'm out of here. You don't like my shoes? You don't like what I picked out? See ya. I'm, I'm gone. You know why? Because we're unified in Jesus Christ. And if she doesn't like my shoes, that's okay. Okay. I'm not gonna make her wear my shoes. I'm gonna wear the shoes. But listen, there is a great lesson in church unity in these shoes. Just because she doesn't like my shoes does not mean that I love her any less. It's just her opinion. And just because you may not like a message that I preach on Sunday morning does not mean that I love you any less. Because I know, as long as we are unified, pursuing Jesus Christ, it's okay. And we are going to live out Ephesians 4 too. And we are going to make room for each other's faults. We are going to bear with one another in love. Because it is not about us, it is all about Him. So... What does unity look like for us? It's very, very simple what unity is. God desires for unity at Whitechapel Church to be a group of saved, spirit-filled believers that are focused exclusively on our God-given mission that glorifies Jesus by being bound first to God and then bound to each other. If you have a phone, I encourage you to take it out and take a photo of this. If you have notes, that you, that you write notes, I encourage you to write down this definition. Because I believe that this is where God is leading us. He's leading us to see this accomplished right here at Whitechapel Church. So that we become a team, that beco- that, so that we who are a team becomes an army that radically changes this community. Here's what I know. If we're not unified, if we're not unified as an army, what's going to happen is we're going to be fighting each other. And God doesn't want us to fight each other. He wants us to take on the enemy. And the way that we get there is to pursue more and more and more and more of Him. I want to close this morning with a short devotion. uh, Just a very short one. Actually, Dexter turned me on to... to, um, this, um, this person, Dan Gas I think is his name, who writes these devotions. And Dexter, I missed this one, and Dexter forwarded it to me this week. And as I read this, man, the, the Spirit just really spoke to me through this. and So I want to just share it with you. It's about the Old Testament leader, Japheth. And this is what it says. Townspeople declared Japheth a persona non grata, but he embraced that new relationship. In Judges eleven twelve, 12, it says, Then Japheth set out messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, what, have you, what do you have against me that you have attacked my country? There are some words here, this devotion says, that are significant. Me and my country. He put the hurts of his past behind him, and he fully embraced the cause he said, "Me and my country." Deborah Prague writes it this way: "He was ready to walk in unity, And a unity walk requires, catch it, unity talk. Isn't that good? A unity walk requires unity talk." You would be surprised at the impact unity talk will have on your attitude and your relationship. Because unity talk is cognitive behavior. But that's what Dexter talked to us about a few weeks ago. We have to make the decision that our actions are going to be supported by our words. So it says, you'll find yourself being less critical of others once you make team talk, unity talk, a habit. That doesn't mean that you'll always see eye to eye on every issue or like the same style of tennis shoes. It just means that the cause and the vision you share are greater and more important than your differences of thought and your opinion. Isn't that great? Do you see what God is calling us to as a body of believers? I encourage you this morning to just for a moment set aside everything from your past and in this moment just set in the pursuit of Jesus that brings about a unity among a body of believers that unites us moving forth forth under that exclusive banner of our God-given mission. And that requires unity talk. So this is what we have to be committed to as Whitechapel Church. We're not gonna live in the past. We're not gonna live in victories of the past or in hurts of the past. We're gonna live in the right now. And in the right now, we're gonna be a group of saved and spirit-filled believers. Focused exclusively on our God given mission that glorifies Jesus by being united first to God and then united to each other. Unity will be at the forefront of everything we do as a church.
0: Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.